Take your Bible with me for the next few minutes and find your place at Luke chapter 19, verse 10, if you haven't already done so. And I want to just look at one verse, and then we're going to move to some different places through the Bible this morning. I don't like to necessarily always do that. I like to get one text and stay in that text. But we're going to be looking at several different verses of Scripture today because I want to talk to you about what it means to be lost, what it means to be lost. In Luke chapter 19, you find a very familiar story. This is the story of Zacchaeus. I'm not going to go back and read all that story. If you don't know it or you haven't heard it in a good while, I hope you'll go back to verse 1 all the way down to verse 10. But at the end of the story of Zacchaeus, where Jesus comes to Jericho and sees Zacchaeus up in the sycamore tree, Jesus comes to the end, and Jesus tells us what is his ultimate mission. Notice at verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek. There it is. The Son of Man is Jesus. He has come to seek because nobody's seeking him, and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Now, what I want to talk about for the next few minutes is what it means to be lost. Excuse my throat for a moment. What does it mean to be lost? Oftentimes when we think about being lost, we think of it like a maze. You know, you enter in one part of the maze and you try to make your way through until you find your way out the other side of the maze. And if you have enough time, you have enough perseverance, you have enough diligence, you can get from one side of the maze to the other side of the maze. But when the Bible talks about us being lost, it's not talking about this kind of being lost. Where if you just had a GPS, it would lead you to where you needed to go. Or just somebody that will give you enough time, give you enough diligence to to make your way through. That's not what it means to be lost in the Bible. To be lost in the Bible is something far more significant than that. It is something that no matter how much time, no matter how much energy, no matter how much diligence, no matter how much perseverance, you can't change your condition on your own. You can't get out of the maze that you're in on your own. Only Jesus can save you. And that's what Jesus was saying here. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But if you don't understand what it means to be lost, then you don't understand what Jesus is seeking to do. So let's talk about it. What does it mean to be lost? Well, first of all, to be lost means that people are depraved. People are depraved. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines depraved as marked by corruption or evil. And that's accurate. That's true. Marked by corruption or evil. Sometimes when you talk about depravity, people add the word total to it. Total depravity. And I would agree with that definition or that, uh, that adding of that word. If you mean by that, if you don't mean by that, that you are as bad as you can possibly be. But if you mean by that, that every part of you, every aspect of your life has been touched by the corruption of sin. If you're talking about total uh, depravity, we're not talking about total inability. That when the gospel is presented that you can't respond to the gospel. Total depravity means, means that you are corrupt. Every part of your life has been touched by that corruption of sin. You are depraved to the very core of who you are. One of the theologians that I have read through the years is Dr. J.I. Packer. <clears throat> Dr. Packer went to heaven this past, uh, this past summer. And uh, he's written a number of books. One of them that I enjoy is his concise theology. I like people who take complex things and make them simple. There's a lot of people who can take simple things and make them complex, right? 
But I like people who can take complex things and make them simple. And in his concise theology, that's exactly what he does. And I want you to listen uh, to his words. Talking about original sin, which is talking about our depravity, they're, they're parallel with each other. This is what he says. The assertion of original sin, that's depravity, means not that sin belongs to human nature as God made it before the fall, but that A, sinfulness marks everyone from birth and is there in the form of a motivationally twisted heart prior to any actual sins. B, this inner sinfulness is the root and source of all actual sins. And C, it derives to us in a real, though mysterious way from Adam, our first representative before God. This assertion about our depravity, about original sin, makes the point that we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. And then he goes on. It signifies a corruption of our moral and spiritual nature that is total, not in degree, for no one is as bad as he or she might be, but in extent. It declares that no part of us is untouched by sin, and therefore no action of ours is as good as it should be. And consequently, nothing in us or about us ever appears meritorious in God's eyes. We cannot earn God's favor no matter what we do. Unless grace saves us, we are lost. That's what it means to be depraved. It doesn't mean you're as bad as you can possibly be, but it means to the full extent of who you are, the corruption of sin has changed you. It has affected you. It is ever present with you. It is the reality of every person who comes into this world. Now, the reality is this. Most people don't know that. Most people are being told through their counseling that they're really good people, that you know, there's just enough goodness in you. If you just fan, fan the flame of goodness that's in you long enough that it'll eventually blaze up and all that goodness will be seen through you. And in doing so, we tell them a lie rather than telling them the truth, that the reality that what's going on within you, the Bible says, is that you are totally depraved. You are corrupt to the very core of your being. <clears throat> Think of it this way. Think of it as the, the molten lava of a, of a volcano. Just beneath the earth, there is this boiling molten lava. It's, it's everywhere. For, for the most part, that's where our depravity stays. It, for the most part, stays just beneath the surface. But periodically, what happens to that molten lava? Through a volcano, it erupts, and suddenly all of that molten lava comes spilling out, and you begin seeing it everywhere, and you see the effects of it and the, and the deadliness of it, the danger of it. Well, you and I are a lot like that. Just beneath the surface is the depravity that's true for every person who comes into this world. And periodically, we see that depravity that it boils up and it spills over and it explodes and it becomes obvious for everybody to be able to see. Think about it this way. Think about Cain killing his brother Abel. For the first time in the early chapters of the, New Te of the Old Testament, you, you read about Cain killing his brother Abel. <clears throat> and what do we see? We see that depravity like, like a volcanic eruption spilling out and now murder comes into the picture. And Jesus the New Testament goes on to say that if you look at someone with hatred, it's as if you've committed murder in your heart. Wow. That corruption is there with us. 
It's a part of sometimes beneath the surface, all the time beneath the surface, but sometimes it erupts out where you see it so visibly, like the murder of Cain, of his brother. Or, or think about Noah's day. Noah's day was a day that was described as the wickedness of man that was great, and every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil. That depravity that oftentimes is just beneath the surface just kept spilling out. It just kept exploding out where others could see, and it was obvious for everybody to be able to see. Or or think about King David. King David, when he was supposed to be with his soldiers on the front line of battle, was at home walking on the flat roof of his house, looking over, sees a woman, Bathsheba, and he lusts after her. He sends for her. He brings her to his house. He commits adultery with her. He conceives a child with her. Then he's got to cover or try to cover it up by having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, killed on the front lines of battle. And that depravity that most of the time we cover up. Very few people see, you know, we know ourselves, we know what's going on within us. Maybe some of those, the closest to us know what's going on within us, but the reality is we try to keep it covered and, and hidden away from most people's view so that most people aren't paying attention to it. But we know that periodically that, that depravity erupts like a volcano and we see the ugliness of it. We see uh, the, the depravity of it all as it comes forth. You move into the New Testament. You can find in Romans chapter 1 the evidence of that depravity. It's found in heterosexual immorality. It's found in homosexuality, the LGBTQ uh, agenda. It's found in transgenderism and all of the other sexual perversions. In Romans chapter 1, they didn't want to keep God. They made gods for themselves became gods unto themselves, and God gave them up. Three times he says it, God gave them up. God gave them up to a reprobate mind, to a mind that can't discern right from wrong. And then he explains all of these evils that are like that depravity, like molten lava just beneath the surface that erupts so that you can see that every one of us is totally depraved. You see that kind of Depravity when it comes to the killing of the unborn, abortion. Uh, Every life from the moment of conception to the moment of death is valuable to God as a gift from God and should be treated as such. No, ladies, what is growing inside your womb is not a part of your body. It is another human being that God has created in your womb. There's a lot of places for an amen at that particular moment. And it's not your right to interfere with God's plan, the unborn. And we see that depravity just beneath the surface erupting with people taking the lives, millions and millions of babies who've lost their lives. Or think about drug addiction or prostitution or human trafficking. Or or think about the money schemes that defraud people. Or you want to see this depravity that's just beneath the surface that sometimes erupts like a volcano erupts and you see it in its very visible and ugly form? Think about a young man walking up to a police car in California with a gun in his hand, and he ambushes two police officers and he shoots them both in the head. That's depravity. Before you get too smug, that depravity rests in every one of us. Maybe you would never do that, but the reality is the depravity that's within all of us, we are born with this depravity. We we are born with this sinfulness that touches every part of our being, 
if we don't, if we don't deal with it, it erupts like a volcano and you see it in its ugliest form, but it's always there. It's always present in our lives. You see that depravity in the rooting, in the rioting and in the looting, the vandalism and the destruction of property. All that's the depravity of mankind. And that kind of a list could just go on and on. It could just continue on and on. But whether you have those kinds of eruptions of depravity in your life or not that are visible so that everybody sees the, sees the ugliness of the depravity that you have, the fact of the matter is just beneath the surface there is that boiling molten lava of depravity. And every one of us has it in our lives. So we don't talk about what's good in a person. I'm not talking about an encouraging sense. Now, you may come to somebody in a way of encouragement when they're down and say, look, look you, know, you know, there's some good things for you to do. There's some good things about you, some good qualities that you need to see about yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about turning people in to find the answers within themselves. When you turn people in to find the answers within themselves, you turn them toward their depravity. You don't find answers in your depravity. You find answers in your deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, can you prove that kind of depravity? I sure can. Listen to it, Romans chapter 3. I'll just read it to you. You can write it down beginning in verse 10. Listen to it. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And then he's going to begin to talk about different parts of the body. Listen, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you see it? Eyes, feet, mouth, lips, tongues, throat. Every part of us is touched by the depravity that's just beneath the surface in most of our lives, all of our lives, that sometimes erupts and becomes so, so visible. The ugly aspects of that depravity become so visible. He goes on in verse 23 of chapter 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are depraved. I'm sorry to burst your bubble this morning. Your answers aren't in you. Let me say it again. Your answers aren't in you. Your answers are beyond you. Your answers are in the God of heaven above and in the scripture that you hold in your hands. Your answers are in the presence of the Holy Spirit if you're a child of God that dwells within you. That's where you find the answers. And you say, well, how did we get this way, Pastor? How do we get this way to be depraved where we got this molten lava of depravity that's beneath the surface that's ugly? We know it's there. We might hide it pretty good from most people, but every once in a while we see it erupt and others see that depravity of our lives. How do we get this way? Well, Romans chapter 5 tells you, verse 12, therefore just as through one man, who's the one man? It's Adam. As through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And listen, he goes on, verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, that's Adam, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that's Jesus, 
The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners because Adam sinned. And all of us have been born from Adam. Every one of us has this same depravity that was seen in Cain, that was seen in Noah's day, that was seen in David, that's seen in Romans 1, that's seen in all of these other eruptions of this ugly depravity. It's there. That's why we're involved in missions. We're involved in missions to bring people and help them to understand God doesn't want to just sort of rearrange your nature like it is. God wants to give you a brand new nature. He wants to make you a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. He wants to do for you what you can never do yourself. So what it means when people talk about being lost, when we talk about people being lost, it means that they are depraved. Secondly, it means that people are deceived. I want you to look in your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It talks about this deception as a veil, as eyes that are blinded. People are deceived. Notice what he says beginning in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, chapter 4, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now listen, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. They're deceived who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They've been blinded. They've been deceived by the great deceiver, Satan himself. Think about it. People are deceived by religion. They think by ceremony or rituals, somehow they're going to earn the favor of God. They think their ceremony and their rituals are enough to please God. And God's going to let them into heaven on the basis of some kind of religious performance. Uh, people are deceived by education. They think they're so smart that they're smarter than God. The evolutionists are that way. They think they know more than God. You know, most scientists want to be able to observe and be able to repeat whatever it is they say is true. They can't observe nor repeat how the world came into existence. But we have a Bible that tells us exactly how the world came into existence. But a whole, a whole group of people have been deceived. People are deceived by success. They see themselves climbing the ladder. Boy, I'm doing better and better. I'm getting better and better. I got more and more. I'm happier and happier with life. They don't realize the emptiness that's going on. They don't realize the depravity or the deception that's in their success. Some people are deceived by pleasure. And can I just stop here and tell you, we are a pleasure craved world. Let me back up again just to tell you, we are a pleasure-deceived world. We live for the next high, emotional high, the next moment away, the next trip that we can take. We have forgotten that God is the one who created work. And, and being involved by the sweat of your face six days a week is what God says. Not that you shouldn't have a vacation, mind you. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about people that just live for the next pleasure, for the next weekend away. They're deceived by pleasure. They're deceived by wealth. They think because they have money, they can buy whatever they want. You remember what Paul said to Timothy? You tell those that are rich in this world not to trust in, what were the words? Uncertain, what? Riches. People are deceived by a lot of different kinds of things. Some are deceived by Buddhism and Baha'ism and Islam and Mormonism. 
Some are deceived by horoscopes and by fortune tellers. Some are deceived by self-realization and contemplative prayer and spirit guides and mediums. Some are deceived by money and possessions and status and recreation. They're, They're deceived. The glorious gospel has never broken over their soul. They've never understood the eternal things. They've only lived for that which is temporal. They don't understand the greater things. Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus went through Samaria. He sat down at a well, and there was a woman that came to the well that day, in the middle of the day, to get water. Disciples had already left, and they'd gone to get food. Jesus enters into a conversation with this woman. This very deceived woman. She'd been married five times. She was living with a man that wasn't her husband. Living together is still sin. Living together is still sin. Having sex with somebody who is not your spouse is sin, period, according to the scripture. And here she is, a woman who's been deceived. She enters into this conversation. Jesus enters into this conversation with her. And in the process... Uh, She says to Jesus, you know, your fathers say on that mountain is where we worship. Our fathers say it's on that mountain where we worship. And Jesus says to her, you're going to worship God how? Not on that mountain or that one. You're going to worship God how? In spirit and in truth. She was deceived. She needed the truth. She'd been deceived. And all across the world, people are lost. Not only... Does that lostness mean they're depraved? That lostness means they're deceived. They're looking for the answers to life. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for happiness. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for something, and they're deceived because Satan blinds their minds. He doesn't want the glorious light of the gospel to shine on them. What does it mean to be lost? Well, to be lost, it means that we're dominated. Not only that we're depraved and we're deceived, but we're dominated. You know what Romans chapter 6, verse 7 says? You needn't turn back there unless you just want to turn to Romans chapter 6, but please write it down. I want you to go to it at some point and read it for yourself. Listen to what he says. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be, here it is, slaves of sin. Did you know that before you met Jesus Christ, those of you that are believers in Jesus, did you know that before you were believers in Jesus, you were a slave? I don't like that word, Pastor. I don't either. I despise that word. I hate that word. But that's exactly what you and I were before we came to Jesus. We were slaves. We were dominated by sin. Uh, Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. Yeah, yeah, probably so. You were a slave to sin. He goes on, for he who has died has been freed from sin. That doesn't mean we never sin, but we're no longer enslaved to it. We can live in victory over it. The great emancipator wasn't Lincoln. The great emancipator was Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings lasting freedom. Jesus is the one who says, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus is the one who sets us free from the domination of sin. Don't tell me you can't break the cycle of sin in your life. If you know Jesus Christ, he's already broken that cycle. Now you've got to learn to live in the victory that God intends for you to experience. Amen? I don't like a lot of the counseling programs that keep taking people to the past. It's been this many weeks, this many months, this many years since. Listen, 
te- you're tethered to your past. I want you to be tethered to who God makes you to be. I want you to look at what God wants to make of your life. I want you to understand you don't have to live enslaved to this. You've been set free to something far greater. The people all over the world don't know that. They don't know that being lost means that they're dominated by their sins. You understand? Dominated by their sins. Think think of it this way. Mary and I love uh, documentaries about the Titanic. They got one documentary where they drain the ocean. It's all graphics. You know, it's not real, obviously. But they drain the ocean and they show you the different pieces in the different parts of the Titanic and why it broke apart the way it did. But we're fascinated by the Titanic. Here's the reality. If you're riding on the Titanic and they struck that iceberg that many years ago, you understand that no matter how much you rearrange the furniture on the Titanic, it's still going down. It doesn't matter how much you rearrange the furniture of your life and make it look a little bit better. What you need is not to just rearrange the furniture. You need a deliverer. You need somebody to come and to save you because you're dominated by sin. To be lost means that we're depraved. It means we're deceived. It means we're dominated. To be lost means that we're dead. Wow. You mean I'm dead? Yep, you're dead. We are dead. Listen to it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you he made alive who were, here's the words, dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You're dead in trespasses and sins. Please don't misunderstand that. That's not like a corpse dead. You have a mind, you have a will, you have emotions. When we talk about being dead spiritual, we're talking about being alienated from the life of God. It means that unbelievers are still in their sin, destitute of the Spirit of God and separated from God, and they will be separated from God eternally if they die in that that state. To be dead means that people are blind to the glory of Christ. They're deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They have no love for God, no abiding awareness of his personal reality, no no joyful crying of Abba, Father, and no longing, no longing for the fellowship of God and the people of God. I mean, they're dead to God. That's what the Bible says. We're not just depraved. We're not just deceived. We're not just dominated. Everybody born into this world, they're dead. They have no spiritual life. That's what makes the words of Jesus so important. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and what are the next two words? The life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Or John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they might have, you know the next word? Life. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You understand eternal life? John 7, 7, chapter 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You understand? To be dead spiritually means you have not the life of God. You have not the spiritual life of God. And what you so desperately need is what Nicodemus needed. You know what that is? You need to be born again. Remember when uh, Nicodemus came to Jesus that night, John chapter 3? Go read it sometime if you haven't read it in a while. 
came to Jesus at night. This was a curious religious man. Wanted to know more about Jesus. He knew that the things that Jesus was doing couldn't be done just by an ordinary man. And these were true things that were happening. These weren't just somebody with a sleight of hand. Wanted to know more about this person, Jesus. Who is this Jesus? So he goes to Jesus by night, and what does he do? He gets into this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus ends up saying, you mean you're a, you're a religious man, and you don't know what it means? He says, you must be, you know the next words? Born again. You must be born again. Well, Nicodemus, this brilliant man that he is, says, you mean go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being born from above, being made alive by the Spirit of God. That's what I'm talking about. We are dead Every one of us is dead in our trespasses and sins, and we need to be made alive through the Spirit of God, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And people in the world in which we live, they're lost. They're depraved. They're deceived. They're dominated by their sins. They're dead spiritually to God, alienated from the life of God. But then I'd say finally... To be lost means people are damned. I hate that word. I've been watching a lot of the news reports of some of the riots going on in the various cities and some of the language that comes out of people's mouths. When you don't have an intelligent argument, you resort to using foul language. But I want you to listen to what it says about being damned. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. You understand that everybody who dies without Jesus is damned for eternity. Listen to what he says. It's called, it's called the lake of fire. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no, no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead uh, who were in it. And death, that's the grave. And Hades, that's the temporary place of separation from God until it gives up those that are in it for the final and eternal place. The death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into, here, here it is, here's the da damnation. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's damnation, friends. And you say, well, I'm okay, preacher. I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. It's okay with me. You don't understand. Again, you don't understand what the Bible says. That's the problem. You've been deceived Listen to what it says. One of the most famous verses in, in the New Testament is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we stop. But that's not where the text stops. He goes on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't have to. Listen. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe 
He who does not believe is condemned already. And why is he condemned already? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you're damned, condemned, it's not God's fault. It's because you haven't believed in the name of the Son of God. That's what it means to be lost. It's not about being lost on some maze and you just need a little GPS, a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, a little bit of perseverance, and you, you can work your way out of this mess that you're in. When the Bible says that you are lost, you are depraved and you are deceived. Listen, you are dominated by your sin. You are dead to God, spiritually dead, and you're damned already. And your only hope is that Jesus comes and Jesus delivers you, that Jesus saves you. I take you back. What does he say back here in our text? The Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? That's Jesus. The Son of Man has come. And why has the Son of Man come? To seek, because as those who are depraved and deceived and dominated and dead and damned, we don't seek after God. You say, well, I found, I found the Lord. No, you didn't find the Lord. The Lord found you. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save. What? That which is lost. Not that which enough perseverance can help himself. He's come to seek and to save those that can't help themselves. I've got good news for you. He gives a new nature to the depraved. To the, to the deceived, he is the truth. To the dominated, he gives freedom. To the dead, he, he gives new life. To the damned, he delivers all of that by way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be lost. That's why we can't stop missions. Locally, nationally, or internationally. We can't stop it. Listen, you, you can go to church. You can go through every baptistry there is. You can shake every preacher, confess to every priest, count all the beads you want. You don't get to heaven unless you come to Jesus and believe on Jesus for salvation. It's the only way you get to heaven. It's the only way that you can deal with all of these things that are true. Now listen, that's not all the Bible says about our condition in this world, what we truly are, what we are in this world. That's not all the Bible has to say. But th th that's enough for me to tell you that we've got to get busy. Why do we do missions? You know exactly why we do missions. People are depraved. They're deceived. They need the truth. They're dominated by their sins. They're dead spiritually to God. And they're damned to an eternal hell, the lake of fire. And their only hope is Jesus.